March 3, 1969, the United States Navy established an elite school for the top 1% of its pilots. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of aerial combat and to ensure that the handful of men who graduated were the best fighter pilots in the world. They succeeded. Today, the Navy calls it Fighter Weapons School. The Flyers call it Top Gun. You just got back from Chicago. I did. I was at. Uh, and if, in fact, if any of you uh, were checking out our Instagram uh, live, Plain Talk PC, yeah, Plain Talk PC Instagram Live last week, I was at. Oh man, this is going to kill me. But I think it's pronounced Megsfield, and I think it's pronounced Megs. Um, but if you look on Wikipedia, which pretty much is we always can right, change tonight. Tonight, <laughs> uh, they they talk about that it's pronounced Megs because the guy's last name was Megs, and it rhymes with eggs. That's um, Meg's eggs. Right. Great. Right, anyway, was there a restaurant so, on the field? <laughs> no, but was that their special dish? But every time I try, every time I go out to Chicago, I always try to go to Meg's Field or Migs. As far as that's fine, you can say Rob's. Migs. Okay, and um, I'll start from the beginning. So we, we drove out from Boston uh, and made a few stops before making it to Cleveland, which is a town in your home state, Rob. Oh, yes. And and I forget the name of the field, but it's right on the water. Burke Lakefront International Airport. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I have it on my bucket list to actually go land there. You land in between the highway and the water right on the lake. It's just to the north of the city. It looks like it looks like an amazing place to land, and I did some calculations, and you can get from Boston there in one tank of gas. Yes, but can the bladder last? No, true. Mm. true. That's what <laughs> that's what empty diet coke bottles are for. Gross. Um, but then, so we we spent a night there, and where'd you eat? Oh, we went to uh, was it Fourth Street? Fourth Street. And I have to say, so so Rob gave me a, a ton of different recommendations, and a couple of the places that he recommended to me were either closed or had one person in them. I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they're good. <laughs> well, a lot of the there's some stuff there that wasn't there when I last yeah. when I left. Yeah. Well, the, I have to say the food in Cleveland is fantastic. At least the area we went to, we went to a couple different places, but this this Fourth Street area, uh, I guess it's about maybe an eighth of a mile long, quarter mile long, somewhere around that. Mm-hmm. And it had multiple restaurants on it, and all of them had patios. And we went to this one place. Uh, it was like Brewers and Butchers, or Butchers and Brewers, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the best beer that I have ever had in my entire life. They had a mm. they had a white stout. It was it was delicious. It was like one of the best beers I've ever tried. Remember, eight hours bottle to throttle. Right, point oh four BAC. <laughs> Not under the influence of alcohol, but you were driving. That doesn't make it better. <laughs> we were no, we were. Like, you were you were walking we at were, that point. You we, were staying at the hotel. We were walking, and we were we weren't going to be on the road for at least another fifteen, sixteen hours. This was early in the evening, the night before we left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, if you are ever in uh, Cleveland, make sure you check out Fourth Street and check out uh, Burke Lakefront KBKL. And check out that amazing beer place because it was awesome. Yes. Uh, food was great, too. So then we kept driving to Chicago, got to Chicago the next day, and um, 
I, while in Chicago, I knew I had to go over to Northerly Island and check out the former location of Meg's Field. And I did an Instagram live story, which we'll be, we will turn into a video at some point, get it up on our YouTube. We have all the clips. Um, except I actually lost the clip where I put I had a tiger in it, but I realized that we wouldn't have been able to use that one anyway because it's copyrighted music. So it, it turned out. We just wouldn't be able to monetize it. We can put it up. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. It's, well, not, like, it's not like our YouTube's making us any money right now anyway. <laughs> Shameless plug. Please <laughs> like us on YouTube and follow us on YouTube. Absolutely. We need 1,000 likes on YouTube. We need... 10,000 on Instagram. Yeah, we yep. need we need big numbers. Yep. Big yep. numbers. Yep. But once we hit those numbers, there's a lot more we can do. So please support us when you get a chance by liking us, following us, etc. So anyway, so I did a, a full walk around Northerly Island. It took me about 45 minutes. Um, that runway was pretty long uh, because I walked from the, uh, I guess, the, the planetarium at the north side. Mm-hmm. And I um, walked all the way to the southern end of the island, took pictures along the way. It's really pretty. There's a lot of water that they put there now. It's a big park. Lots of good running trails. Um, and, you know, at, towards the end, I, I walked up a little hill. And there was the only remaining artifact from Meg's Field. The tower is still standing. Um, and I was actually able to talk to somebody while I was there. And they informed me that nobody can go up into the tower. Trust me, I tried. Because I knew <laughs> that for Plain Talk Podcast, if we had some content of us up in the tower, that would have been awesome. Or from the ambulance leaving the tower after <laughs> you fell off right, of right. a collapsed stairway. But they, they, <laughs> they, uh, they said it's condemned uh potentially full of asbestos and so they're going to keep it around but nobody not even the people that work there are allowed up in the tower but it was awesome experience uh we've got some content hopefully you caught it on instagram uh, and if you didn't we'll definitely get a video out there on youtube sometime in the next couple of weeks so you can check out that content and if you're in chicago it, it's worth the walk head over to northerly island um start at the planetarium on the north side and then you know kind of walk your walk your way around give yourself about an hour to to check it all out awesome Maybe I can learn how to be a truck driver. Matt, have you had the number of that truck driving school we saw on TV? Truck master, I think it is. I might need that. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So on today's episode of the Plane Talk Podcast, we are doing things a little bit differently, and we're reviewing the movie Top Gun. Now, this is definitely a first for us, and it's a movie that, well, I've I've been passionate about, and it inspired me to want to be a pilot from a very young age. But, uh, we're trying out a little bit of something new. A little bit different format, and there were some trials and tribulations that came along with that. So uh, if uh, anybody out there is thinking about doing their own podcast or recording anything, please just make sure your microphones are on. With that being said, let's join our hosts kind of in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of the recording for uh, for the review of Top Gun. Thanks a lot. Do you know what these two airplanes are? No. Okay. This is an F-5, and this is an F-5F. It's a two-seat version of the F-5. Now, at the time, Top Gun, or Fighter Weapon School, was using A-4s and F-5s as their aggressor aircraft. We will be dealing with F-5s and A-4s as our mixed simulators. And they use the F-5F as a tool to put in Rios. The, the guy in the backseat of the F-5F is also a Top Gun instructor for the radar intercept officers, or Goose, in the case of the movie. He would have been specifically focusing on, on, on him. 
uh, would have been also giving the pilots the the perspective from the backseater so that they could better put the aircraft in positions to help the backseater get locks on target and employ the weapons. So the front seater's job was to fly the airplane and the backseater's job was to run the systems, help the pilot maintain situational awareness, lock up the targets, and then fire the weapons. So in some of the scenes here where we see Maverick selecting missiles or guns or doing whatever on his selector switch on his stick, um, he may or may not have actually, like a, a, the real pilot may or may not have actually been doing that. It would have been more the backseater doing those things. Are there dual controls in the F-14? No, there's not. Um, the backseater mainly had just stuff to run the radar, the radios, air conditioning, you know, all that other stuff. But uh, no, there was not a set of dual controls in these. And very interestingly, in, I remember in the TV series Jag, there was an episode where uh, Harm was in the back seat and he had a dual set of controls and he ended up saving the aircraft because only he could. You know, that's Harm. He's the hero. He's got to be able to do that stuff. I had never noticed in the million times that I've seen this movie that there was a single seat and a two seat aircraft as the aggressors, as MiG-28s. I never noticed it. Until now. Hmm. I don't know if it was necessarily until now, but until today. I can definitely say that yeah. in, the, in the preparation for the episode. Throughout the movie, when they're at Top Gun, you never see a, uh, uh, an F-5 used as an aggressor. You only see the A-4 because these two airplanes that we see painted up as the MiG-28s were the only ones they had. And the movie painted them as MiG-28s. Top Gun did not have them in this paint scheme, in this library. Paramount painted them. Did they actually paint the physical planes for the shooting, or did they do it in post-production? Oh, no, it wasn't post-production. They painted them for the live-action shots. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I was reading earlier today that the government actually really wanted this production to happen and only charged the Top Gun production team for gas. They basically ate all the other costs. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. This, this was going to be a recruiting tool for them, and, and they, I think, understood the potential for it and the, the audience that they were trying to reach. And the Navy's provided an incredible amount of support for the production. I know that they brought uh, Tom Cruise up at least more than anybody else, and I'm wondering how many times he puked. <laughs> according to uh, according to his interviews, he threw up on the first flight, but he didn't throw up after that. Huh. Uh, and then I think it was he had negotiated three flights, that he was going to get three flights in the F-14, and most other people either only got one or they got two. Um, they, didn't, they didn't get much. And, uh, yeah, Tom, Tom got the most out of it. And he's a pilot, so cool. Good on him. The What else was it? So the, the support that the Navy gave, not only did they give them access to the fighter weapons school, the pilots, the aircraft, uh, but they also continued to support the production of the movie after the three days of filming at Miramar was over. All the footage and everything went back to Paramount in California and they, the Navy sent uh, a couple of officers as advisors to work on the dialogue because what you see the actor saying in the cockpit isn't what they're saying at all. They're just looking around, taking directions, look, trying to look like you know they're serious or they're frightened or they're, they're uh, whatever. And this is a marvel in editing 
because you just had all this basically B-roll that they made a movie out of. They could have made the dialogue whatever they wanted right. because you can't see the actors' mouths. They you can't read an entirely lips. different Top Gun, and it, would it be totally a different it could have been them talking about a shopping list mm-hmm. and. Well, that might not have been too far-fetched, but you wouldn't know the difference. You'd be like, wow, these just dudes are intense about their shopping. That's amazing. And who's in the black jets? I don't know. Apparently, they're the rival supermarket or something. So Tom would have never actually been flying in the front seat. So when they had the actual flying shots, he would have been in the back seat, even though it looked like he was in the front seat. Oh, yeah. So all of the shots of them in the cockpit... With actual motion in the background, they are in the back seats. And what I think that the studio did was they built a, a mock-up, or they they took a cut-up F fourteen, one that was already you know junked, and they just took the cockpit, set it up on a sound stage, and, and mounted some cameras in it. And so the actors are sitting in this thing, and it's it may even be on a gimbal so that it can move. They weren't actually flying the airplane and and you notice that quite a bit there's a lot of scenes where it's a much wider angle and you can see the front seater and the back seater you see the back seater moving his head around and he's up against the glass and he's looking for targets and and that's all over the uh, all over the movie but uh that must not have been a flying scene that must have been a they were on a sound stage they were in the studio for that and uh, just in the in the gimbaled uh in the gimbaled cockpit um, if you if you really pay attention to the opening dogfight, there's a clip where it's before uh, the the international relations scene, but they're chasing, um, or Maverick is chasing the MiG twenty eight, which is chasing Cougar and Merlin, and so in the shot you can see an F fourteen, a MiG twenty eight, and then an F fourteen. If you look closely and pay attention. What is uh, Merlin, the backseater's helmet? In the shot where the two F four, where there's the two F fourteens with the MiG twenty eight in the middle, the rear F fourteen, which should be Maverick and Goose, Merlin's in the back seat. <laughs> like, wait a minute, this ain't right. So I just I just noticed that today, rewatching the movie and kind of looking for this stuff. And here's the crazy part: it doesn't ruin it at all for me. So if you go to the 8 minute and 39 second spot in the movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, clearly you can read on the side of the aircraft, it says Merlin. In the back, in the back seater, you can see his helmet clear as day through the canopy. But there they are. MiG-28 in front of of the rear F-14 and an F-14 up ahead. Well, MiG-28, what am I saying? Oh, I'll just say MiG-28. It's fine. It's better than F-5. Pretend MiG-28. Yeah. Yeah, the the faux MiG-28. So there's stuff like that. Like, there's little inconsistencies. It just goes to show how they took pieces, parts, and clips, what they had. They took what they had, and they made a movie out of it. It's totally possible that when they were storyboarding, and set up this shot that this was supposed to be a completely different shot that that was part of the navy sending the advisors up to paramount to talk about things and, and one of the guys his call sign was bio he was a backseater and a top gun instructor or i think uh yeah he was an active top gun instructor at the time and he went with them and they wanted to know like what's some dialogue like you've actually said in in the airplane you know flying and doing top gun training and missions and stuff and if you remember the quote watch the mountains that's one of that's something he has actually said to a pilot mm. flying out there in, in Nevada. Uh, Jester, let's see if I can give you a run for your money here. Watch the mountains. Fantastic music. Yeah, for some yeah, it seems like it's the same soundtrack on repeat. 
Yeah, it's this upbeat 80s synthesizer. I still got him. He's still back there. Yeah, and this is a fantastic soundtrack. You, know, you have Miami Sound Machine and Kenny Loggins doing two songs and, and all of that. It's, it's a really good sound. It got me pumped up. <laughs> so we're talking about the beginning of the movie. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, when Maverick is talking to what's his name again? I'm sorry. Oh, it was Cougar. Cougar, Cougar was Cougar. a pilot. Okay, cool. And he's he's disoriented. He's on on final. And he, uh, Maverick turns to him and says, "You're a little low. Pull up." Now, I have a question. What angle of attack would he have been at at that current time? Not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're coming into the carrier, you are flying at a very high angle of attack, and you have an angle of attack indicator in the um in the aircraft right next to the heads up display and they they um they're flying what's called on speed and it's a very specific set of angle of attacks and and you're either on speed over speed under speed i'm not a hundred percent up to up to snuff on on how they use that because it's not been a tool in in my inventory but so while that is a that's a kind of a faux pas that we talk about that pulling up doesn't actually mean pulling up, you know, and it's totally possible that what he meant was add power. But there's Merlin screaming at Cougar power, 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 damn it. Okay. Well, at least they got that part right. And, uh, but yeah, you would have wanted to add the power there and move the stick back instead of just pulling the stick back. Cause you could have potentially induced a stall situation. Yeah, I mean, you may even not want to move the stick and yeah. just add the power to keep the AOA mm-hmm. uh, as close as possible. So, but this was supposed to be one of those intense moments of, this, of the movie, and and for the general public, people would be thinking, "Well, power makes him go faster and pull up." Oh, pull up makes sense. Yeah. So it it further teaches wrongdoings. Kind of, have to fix. kind of sort of yeah if <laughs> if your version of receiving flight instruction is watching the movie top gun on repeat <laughs> yeah you're gonna pay me 75 dollars an hour to fix you <laughs> okay tower flyby let's go so he you know radios into the tower and says tower you know flyby requested and he ends up saying negative ghost rider the pattern is full and he does it anyway okay <laughs> fair enough you know not realistic but does it anyway but my, my question is he says that he was flying by at over 400 knots, but when you actually look at the footage, there's no way he's flying past that tower at 400 knots because we would not even be able to basically see no, the No, 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 no. You'd be able to see him. because you ever been to an air show? And the F-18s for the Blue Angels or the F-16s from the Thunderbirds, they do their sneak pass. Like, you could still see them. It's not like it's a blur. Like, think about Red Bull Air Race and them going by a pylon and now just double that speed Mm -hmm. in an object that's three times as big. So you're absolutely... I think you're going to see it. Okay. I think it's as close as it can get. And I think he was going by a little faster than 400. That's my opinion. Okay. All you got to do is miss. Fair enough. So in, in in the filming of it, and we'll just take the language out of it, there's some clips on YouTube where the guys talk about the the filming of the flyby and the guy that got to do it, and, and he's realizing that he's doing it for uh, for all the guys that have ever wanted to, to do that tower flyby. They talk about it like he only did it once, but then there's one phrase where people were he talks about people were coming out of their houses and lining the cul-de-sacs because they thought that some F-14 pilot had finally gone nuts and lost it. That makes me think that they filmed that flyby a yeah. couple of times, <laughs> that they did it a couple of times. So the pattern being full, we're used to operating in the traffic pattern and there being a bunch of airplanes in there when we were flying at Hanscom. So here you have the same thing. You got a bunch of F-14s going around in circles doing touch and goes or whatever they're doing. And uh, here comes here comes Mav ripping by the tower, 
yeah, sure, you'd probably lose your wings for at least 30 days. You'd probably be taken off of flight status. But when they were storyboarding this, the director, who was Tony Scott, wanted them to come by at Mach 1, and they talk about, no, we can't do that because the shockwave would blow out all the windows and and certain square mile radius, and we can't can't do that. But I'll, I'll come by, and it'll look really fast, and it'll look cool, and you'll get your shot you'll you'll get it so i don't know exactly how many times they had to film this thing how many times they had to to do that flyby but oh man i still would that would be i still want to do that Mm. well i'm sure if you asked the tower at norwood if you could do a high-speed flyby i'm sure they'd be totally fine with it yeah i'm sure they'd love that (laughs) sorry goose but it's time to buzz the tower Something very interesting about that right there. What did you see as far as control surfaces moving on the top on the Tomcat? Let's go back. <laughs> oh, interesting. So that's actually is that a spoiler? It is a spoiler. But what about this down here? Well, okay, so the right spoiler is lifting up, which would be rolling the aircraft to the right. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's inducing drag on the right wing. It's destroying lift on the right oh, wing. Oh, yep, yep. Sorry, destroying lift on the right wing. Um, oh, wait. Is that an Elevon? It is an Elevon. This was a combination of an aileron and an Elevon. There are elevators that are allowed to move differentially between the left and right. I feel like either the space shuttle had an Elevon or something had an Elevon as well. Yes, the space shuttle had Elevons. They're kind of flap rounds at the same time because it's like one big wing. That oh, combines. now what? You want to be wrong? <laughs> we just looked it up. <laughs> we just Googled it. <laughs> oh, we should keep this. I'm going to see flap around. I'm going to search the page. There's no flap around on the page. There's not even flap on a page. All right, do a Google War of Flaperons and Elevon space shuttle. See which one wins. Because it's kind of a combination of a Flaperon and an Elevon. Because there's no... I just typed space shuttle. Rob, there's no horizontal stabilizer on the space shuttle. The wing and the horizontal stabilizer are combined. So therefore... Yeah, it's a delta. So that control service is is both an elevator and a wing. But I don't think that necessarily a delta needs a flap. I think they're just two uh, Elevon sections to reduce stress. Like you can move them then differentially to get fine control and and got it, got and, it. and so they consider it an Elevon. Okay, yeah, it's it's an Elevon. Are we keeping that? No. <laughs> y- yes. Yeah. So there's no ailerons at all. No. Oh wow. Yeah. Generally, we, we consider the spoilers a bad thing because their role is to destroy lift. So the F-14 rolled by destroying lift on a wing, and then also using the rolling moment of the Elevon to bring the aircraft to generate roll rate. We generally don't like the destruction of lift. However, for the swing wing design, because that's going to be a part of the wing that is not um, going to be interfered with by any other structure of the aircraft when it's when the the wing is tucked it's almost the only way that you could do it. You're not going to have flaps down when the wing is tucked. So you could have a full trailing edge flap 
and uh, help with the low-speed handling characteristics of the airplane, but you couldn't have an aileron there. So while you're on the subject of those types of wings, it's amazing how those wings can actually fold up for storage, but wouldn't that affect the characteristics of the wing in flight? I mean, isn't there a scenario where uh, the wings snap off just because structurally they're not as sound as other wings that are solid? You just think it would fold the wing. Right. Well, when the, and the F-18 has, um, has foldable wings. The F-14 had normal sweep of, I think, 67 degrees was its full sweep, and then it went to 74 or 77 or 80. I don't remember what it was, to tuck it away on the carrier. Mm-hmm. The wings fold just to make it smaller so it can be stored in confined space on the aircraft carrier. The F-18 has hydraulically actu- actuated wings that fold... But then when they unfold, there's a pin, a big, big hydraulically, hydraulically actuated pin that locks them in place. You are not going to get that thing to move. And the, F, uh, the F-4U Corsair had that. The F-6F Hellcat had that. Uh, all these World War II, like this technology is not necessarily new. Those airplanes didn't weigh as much as the Tomcat or the F-18 did. But um, one of the reasons that... The F-14 wasn't as nimble as a fighter as like an A-4 or an F-5 was because the thing weighed in max gross 70,000 pounds. Empty, it was a 41,000 pound airplane, but you start putting gas and and missiles and, and other stuff on it and it's really starts to get heavy. Now, that's a heavy, heavy airplane. We're we're in the, um, we're in the F-111 range here and the F-111 was a pretty garbage airplane. So to throw that much weight on it and still put an F on the front of its name, the thing better be freaking good. And one of the things that the F-14 was great at was thrust. This thing made power. And so it could outclimb its adversaries. If it ever got into trouble or if, if it was ever behind on energy, it could recover energy. It may not outturn you. But it could outclimb you. It could pull the nose up, and you'd try to chase it in your uh, in your MiG seventeen or your MiG twenty one, and you would run out of energy before you could get lined up for a shot. And the F fourteen would still be going up. You take a hard right, select zone five. You can extend and escape. You made a bad choice. The other fantastic thing about this airplane was the radar. Radar was incredibly powerful, capable of tracking six targets at once and launching six separate AIM-54 Phoenix missiles at six different targets from about 100 miles away, and they'd, they'd hit. You weren't going to miss. It was, it was a million-dollar missile. You got what you paid for. It was going to hit its target. So if you compare that to like the AMRAAM of today, the AIM-120, it's only got uh, like a max range of 30 or 40 miles. And even then you don't want to fire really outside of 20 uh, because it's going to just bleed its energy on the way there. It's, it's easy to evade at that point, but that technology aside, you had to learn how to dogfight with the airplane because pretty much everything else was more maneuverable. You had to learn how to use the strengths of the airplane against the weaknesses of the others. And that's really where, where Top Gun came into play, was teaching you teaching its pilots the strengths of the F-4 versus the strengths and weaknesses of the MiGs. Now, I'm not too familiar with the F-14s, uh, actually any fighter jets, but I know, for example, on the A320, 
they have ailerons and spoilers and to roll those airplanes they actually use a combination of the ailerons and the spoilers in the case of like a Cessna 172 we only have ailerons and so in that case we're just using ailerons for roll in this case in the case of the F-14 are they only using spoilers for roll do they have any ailerons at all no they don't and then what about the case of like newer fighter jets like the F-16 or the F-22 uh, it's it's mainly ailerons and elevons getting full uh, full roll authority there, and it's got fully digital flight controls and 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 laws and everything. So the modern Airbuses they can even figure out how to fly themselves if certain pathways for for telling the control services how to move are damaged. But no, modern modern fighters are using the traditional ailerons elevons and rudder for pitch roll and yaw for all of that uh and they're they're very effective and the, again the reason for the f-14 using spoilers was because of the sweep because you couldn't then have an aileron that would work as well when the wings were extended and still tucked in Makes sense. whereas the spoilers work really well all right let's talk about the spin yeah the flat spin the flat spin not good Shit, we got a flame out map engine one is out Okay, engine right, one engine is out. One is, but engine two is actually flaming out. So yeah, in the clip, they show the right engine coming out of burner. I actually wonder if this was uh, one of those situations where they mirrored the picture. They flipped it. If they didn't, they should have. Yeah, they should have flipped it. They yeah. Flipped it. Uh, let's, let's take a look at the, at the, at the graphic here. Let's, let's see what the shot looks like. Engine one is out. Let's see if they could have flipped it. Yeah, they could have flipped that. They could have flipped that. There's, there's nothing there that that uh, would give it away that they'd reverse that. So if you're following along with us, uh, we're at 106.56. Engine 2 is out. Goose, I'm losing control. I'm losing control. Okay, so the right engine went out. The left engine was still functioning. That should have been a right yaw. I can't. I can't control it. It won't recover. Airplane's in a right roll, which is interesting, but I realize that they're not going to actually spin an F-14. Now we have the first model shot of the movie, or at least one of the first model shots of the movie, and we see this F-14 is spinning to the left. And it's coming down pretty flat, and the F-14 was notorious for, for, for flat spins because the F-14A had turbofan engines that were very susceptible to compressor stalls and disruptions of airflow and that disruption of airflow would cause it to stop the suck squeeze bang blow engine running process and have a flame out that's what she said uh, i figured you were gonna do that, <laughs> you that. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> so if you got that engine to flame out when you were at a high power setting, you would have this asymmetric thrust, which would generate a yaw. And if the aircraft departed flight at that point, then you had stall plus yaw <laughs> and you were going to spin. Now, fighters are built with aft CGs. They are built to be unstable. And an aft CG is how you get into a flat spin or is one of the two ways to get into a flat spin. The only other way is to do it with power. And that's how you can see, you watch an aerobatic performer, an air show performer do a flat spin and they can do seven rotations and they've only lost like a thousand feet while they're doing it with power. Uh, stupid question, but is there a yaw dampener on there? You know, that's a fantastic question. And I kind of doubt it just because of the nature of the environment that the F-14 was designed to operate in. The, the yaw dampener certainly existed at the time, but you didn't want an automated system that was preventing 
a maneuver uh, on the airplane. Like if you were trying to line up a shot, you didn't care so much in the fighter world about being coordinated like we do in the GA world, because in here, it's all about getting your guns and bullets and missiles pointed at a target, yeah. get them off the line. And even if uh, even if you weren't doing that, if you can make your aircraft look like it was going in a direction that it wasn't, you had an advantage. In World War II, the uh, the fighter pilots used to trim all the rudder trim the rudder trim all the way over in the airplane, and it would fly in a crab, and that would throw like at a glance, you'd think the airplane was going one direction when it was really going a slightly different one, and you would plan your attack differently, and that would that could throw off the enemy. Okay, yeah. So even in the hearing, though, uh, they said, and I quote, the F-14 flat spin was due to disruption of airflow into the starboard engine, stalled engine, which produced enough yaw rate to induce a spin that was unrecoverable. Is Are that, you reading that, the findings? Did you get that off the Internet? It's like... No, I actually wrote this down. Navy Board of Inquiry? (laughs) I actually wrote this down while I was watching the movie because I was curious to know if it was accurate. Accurate, yes. Well, accurate based on what we saw. But the dialogue and the model's rotation were backwards from what we saw in the flameout and are backwards from the dialogue from the Board of Inquiry. So the Board of Inquiry correctly called it starboard engine. That's what we saw. Flame out, starboard engine. But the airplane entered into a left spin and it should have entered into a right spin so really if they had just flipped the picture and then changed the dialogue in the board of inquiry yeah, yeah, yeah. yep they would have been okay and then nick bradshaw goose saying engine one is out when number two was out and then he said engine two is out and i don't know maybe maybe he should have been saying something more along the lines of we've lost an engine we've lost another engine yeah. but yeah it's a movie so 30 years later will we ever see a top gun 2 yeah we'll talk about that at the end but um so the other fun thing about the spin is the whole dogfight where they're chasing i don't know who they're chasing are they chasing jester i think they're chasing jester or viper i don't remember and um they're over mountains. They're over land. They're over the oh, desert. Yeah. Mayday, mayday. Mav's in trouble. He's in a flat spin. He's headed out to sea. Well, the the restricted area that they're in and filming this was in Nevada, which is several hundred miles from the coast, and you do not travel laterally several hundred miles in a spin. You go down. You go straight down, and you go straight down right now. So, okay, a little bit of a stretch. Now, would they have been able to recover from that spin? No, not in the F-14. Okay. No, the only option is to is to bail, um, because once you're in a flat spin, is there that is rudder authority. To- there's zero rudder authority at that point because the relative wind is all vertical up from the bottom of the aircraft, and the rudder is designed to work with airflow moving longitudinally from nose to tail. You didn't have any of that. But our airplanes get into spins. Uh, the ones we fly, why don't we have any trouble recovering? Mm-hmm. But we spin very nose down, and the throttle coming to idle reduces the gyroscopic precession feeding the flatness of the spin. So our nose really comes down. But also the spin for us in our airplanes doesn't stop until we put that yoker stick forward to reduce the angle of attack below critical on both wings. Then you are, st- you are reducing the offset um, or the differentials in lift, which are what is feeding the spin. And now the rudder has a chance to be effective to stop any of the inertia. So remember, asymmetrical lift, forward and backwards pointed lift on the advancing and retreating wings are what feed 
the auto rotation. The rudder just gets you into it, but the wings are what make the force that keeps you in the spin. The rudder isn't effective enough to kill the spin on its own unless you also get that yoke forward. You don't have the elevator authority to get the nose down. You don't have the rudder authority to dampen the yaw. And and if you have both engines out, you can't even artificially make this thing um, uh, generate any anti-yaw, any corrective yaw. Um, And not having ailerons, you can't even generate any drag on the, what would it be, advancing wing. So there are some flat spin techniques where you actually have to put ailerons into the direction of the rotation because that will drop the aileron on the outside or advancing wing and that creates drag because that's the only place that there's airflow over the wing is on the bottom of it so you need to create drag on the bottom so without ailerons because the f-14 didn't have ailerons you weren't even going to get that your only option is to bail and i believe that was even um one of the recoveries for the f4 as well like if if uh if you got into a spin in an f4 or an f14 they said after if you were below 10,000 just bail or if it was more than one or two rotations just just eject so what would you do power aileron rudder elevator uh you, they pro- they had a procedure that was very similar to pair to try and fix it chances are really slim yeah but if it wasn't out then you needed to eject the f18 nowadays has a spin recovery chute. So if you do accidentally spin the aircraft, you pop the chute, that creates a bunch of drag on the tail, which pulls the tail up, the nose down, decreasing the angle of attack, and now you can fly the airplane normally, and then you can... Uh, I don't know if it automatically releases uh, at a certain airspeed. Like, it would break at some point, uh, or if uh, or if you have to pull the handle again. I'm not quite sure. But uh, in in testing and aircraft testing, they put a spin recovery chute on the back of the airplanes in case they find themselves in an unrecoverable spin mode. So would having one of those chutes in an SR 20, instead of the ones they have now, the, the solid rocket booster, uh, parachutes, full body parachutes, um, be better. No, not necessarily because you get more utility out of the, the BRS and the Cirrus than just a spin recovery chute. And the Cirrus is al- already a very anti-spin airplane by design. Got it. Well, what about having one of the spin recovery chutes in a like a Cessna 172? No, not not really, because the spin characteristics of those airplanes are very friendly. Um, the altitude for which a spin recovery parachute would save you is higher than the altitude required during uh, executing the pair oh, okay. spin recovery. And those aircraft are... So you couldn't throw one of those out in pattern altitude? No. No, no not at all. Um, it would just guarantee that you guarantee that you died. If you go down in a flat spin in a late GA airplane with low wing loading, you're going to hit survivably soft if it's a flat spin, which is very hard to get into. Okay, Um, but a normal nose down spin, you're going to hit very hard and in a direction where the human body is not designed to take a hit. We are designed to to absorb impacts vertically, like our spine does have some squish to it and the seats will, will 
crumple and, and there's cushion in the seat. But if you hit nose down going forward, all of that energy goes into your shoulder harness, goes into your the base of your skull, the back of your neck, and it separates the brainstem. And you that's how Dale Earnhardt died. So that's we're not designed to take a forward hit very well. Which is why the crash position in the airliners is already with your head and, and chest down around your knees. It's, it's so that your head can't then whip forward and separate the brainstem. It's, it's a highly survivable position in the event of slow to moderate deceleration. Or in the case of the movie Airplane. Yeah, everybody just everybody just gets everybody, yeah. And, and then there, I, I think it's hilarious that they were putting themselves in a position where they would be found after the crash. That's that's what they were doing there. I love that. Sound your alarm bell now. All right, now everybody, get in crash position. Maybe that's a, a movie we should review. Yeah, we should definitely do that next. Okay, what's going on? Okay, so yeah, so this is a sad scene. Not just because Goose dies, um, but because Art Scholl, who was a very famous air show performer and um, movie stunt pilot, I hate the word stunt, um, movie pilot, uh, demonstration pilot, died filming footage for the flat spin. He was out over the ocean in his pits, and he, he was on like the third flight of the day, and they did manage to get some footage from previous spins but they weren't happy with it and he wasn't happy with it so he went out on another flight and he got inertially locked into a flat spin in his pits um because the camera which weighed a couple of pounds was back on the tail of the airplane and that shifted the cg enough rearward that once he got the rotation wound up the inertia of the spin was stronger than the anti-spin control inputs that he could make, that the force that he could generate. And he actually radioed, I got a problem here. And that was the last transmission that they heard from him. They they never found him. They never found the aircraft. They never found him. He just, out in the ocean, he's gone. And that was it. That was, that was Art Scholl's gone. And that's why at the end of the credits, it says this movie is dedicated to the memory of Art Scholl. And did they use any of the footage from that in the actual movie? Uh, I was watching this to try and see if there was um, footage in here from that, and I don't think they used. I don't think they used any of it. Yeah, super sad scene. Okay, so the ejection sequence of the F-14. Pull the handles. The canopy blows off completely, and once it's six feet back, the rear seater fires, and then either point. I think it's 0.4 seconds later that the front seater fires. So what they're kind of presuming here is that because the airplane was in a flat spin, the canopy didn't go backwards. It just went up and it launched goose into the canopy. But because the aircraft was rotating and it was 0.4 seconds later, Maverick was fired clear of the canopy. And so he was okay. So it's interesting. Why would the person in the back come out first? And I don't know. I mean, if if it's opening from front to back, you'd think that the front person would come out first. first. It's just how they programmed the logic of the sequence. Like, it's a sequence. It's yeah. a sequenced firing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get to fly with an F-14 guy. Uh, his name was Spanky. He was with VF-101 and I think VF-114. He was a Rio. He was a backseater. And... Um, he was. We were up in the decathlon. He was in his sixties, 
and he wanted an aerobatic ride, and I had him in the back seat, and he was asking me questions like, what's the cornering speed of this airplane? And I was like, cornering speed, cornering speed, what is that? And he goes, that's the, the speed at which you can sustain a turn. And I'm like, oh, it's like 120 miles an hour, and we can only sustain like 3 Gs. He goes, oh, well, I'll take that. I go, okay, here we go. <laughs> and it's basically whatever speed you're doing, roll the airplane to to 70 degrees and start your pull, and it's going to slow down to 120 at full power. So that was fun, flying with Spanky. Try to find a photo of him. The seats on the F-14 are super smart. They have a barometer in them so they know your altitude. In the case of like a zero-zero ejection or a low-altitude ejection, the seat will sequence the seat kicker early and the seat kicker is a device that basically punts the pilot out of the seat to get some separation from it which releases the parachute and then there's a device on the parachute that's basically another little rocket that forces it to inflate so you're not waiting for x amount of time for this to happen and um so if if you bailed at very low altitude, that sequence would go faster than if you were at, like if you ejected at 40,000 feet, the seat's smart enough that it doesn't want to open the parachute at 40,000. It's going to keep you in the seat and you're going to free fall until you're about 10. And then the seat kicker is going to activate, punt you out of the seat, activate the parachute and open the parachute. And just like when you and I go flying in the decathlon, the parachutes are on the person in the F-14, right? No, it's in the headrest. It's in the headrest of the seat, and it's connected to the pilot by straps that they click into, and those those straps then go back into the seat. Got so it. it's it's different from our belts and harnesses that we get into in, in the Cessnas, and it's different than what we use in the decathlon, where that's a five-point harness, or actually it's a seven-point harness. It's a different system there. Goose has another problem. Goose and Maverick have another problem here. Goose is wrapped up in the parachute. It's going to start to fill with water, and it's going to sink. They have a they have a switchblade that they carry with them, or a cord cutter that they can slice the uh, the cables on it um, if it's starting to to drag them down. You're supposed to be able to undo yourself from the harness and kind of back out of it, kind of swim away from it, and it'll it'll fall off you. But if that isn't happening, you you have to cut yourself out. All right, what's next? <laughs> uh, the ending. Let's talk about the ending. Some interesting things with uh, with Roger this as well. Got the lead. I'm on your left side, a little low. Who was up? Was it Hollywood and Wolfman? Maverick's up and ready in alert five. Good. I think it was Hollywood, Wolfman, yep. and Ice, and uh, Maverick was. He was alert five, which apparently is, I guess, five aircraft that are supposed to be up and ready in the catapult. There's only four cats, so you could have four airplanes in the catapults and then one more on standby. But they only had Maverick. <laughs> they only had Maverick up. We got a problem here. Now I'm breaking up four aircraft on the radar. Not one pair, two pair. Repeat, four bogeys. Wood, we've got four bogeys. So there's the mile countdown and the and the nautical mile, like and then the the ground speed wasn't a read out there. And they were doing over six fifty. Yeah, that's Hollywood and Wolfman. Get out of there, Hollywood. There's a scene that'll repeat right there. Watch Maverick on alert five. No, he just looks back to check the later. He checks the damage from uh, taking some gunfire. 
What about Willard and Simpkin? Both catapults are broken. We can't launch any aircraft yet, sir. How long? It'll take 10 minutes. Well, sh- 10 minutes. Yeah, Single the no. over in two minutes. Get on it. Gotta create tension. Willard and Simpkin, two pilots we've never heard of <laughs> throughout the rest of the movie. So there's that missile shot. That gets recycled. That may actually be models. That may be a little rocket because there's a name. There's a Phoenix launch in here. I believe that Maverick launches. That's the real shot, and that may be the one that gets recycled. We just flew right through his jet wash. Oh no, a jet wash! The thing that killed Goose. Good recovery, Mav. Okay, let's get in there. Who's the actor that plays Merlin? It's a very famous actor. Listen to his voice. Very familiar. Maverick's re-engaging, sir. Who is it? It's Tim Robbins. I can't get him off my tail. Ike, I've got your big dead ahead. I've got him Game dead over, ahead. man. Game over. Good tone. I got good tone. I got tone. I got tone. Fire it. There's the missile shot that gets recycled. That was a name nine. That wasn't even a name 54. That wasn't a Phoenix. The aim nine has a very distinctive Where? Where secret tone. 100 it's 100 like a growl. Miles. And it's not that beeping. So I think it would have been neater to have the growl. That's me. Oh my god. So he just switched okay, to Phoenix Sparrow. And that was a, uh, a Sparrow that came off there. I think this is one of the recycled shots as well. He's firing! I'm hit! I'm hit! We're hit! We're hitting the right engine! I'm shutting it down! I'm shutting it down! I'm hitting the right engine. I'm shutting it down. Wait a minute. Didn't an engine shutting down cause Maverick, the best pilot in the movie, to go into a flat spin? <laughs> so now he's intentionally going to shut one down? And in a second here. Yeah, now he's going to be in burner. Shouldn't he have been in the yawn induced? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he just threw a bunch of rudder trim at it. Same shot from earlier in the movie. That's what they did. So the first shot, the first time we see that shot in the movie, it's actually from the last fight where Maverick and Merlin were flying together, mm. and then they just recycled it at recycled the beginning. Ah, oh, that makes sense now. All these discoveries. I can't get him off my tail. Maverick, we're hit. We're hit again. Okay. Both engines are functioning. We're okay. Both engines are functioning. Didn't he shut down the right engine just like thirty seconds ago? What are you doing? You're slowing down. You're slowing down. I'm bringing him in closer, Merlin. You're going to do what? Oh, a Learjet. Really? Yep. Yeah, it was a specially modified Learjet with cameras in the the belly facing backwards. Yeah, it was a Learjet. Yep. Yeah, good guys win. High five. Yeah. All right. So 
not only not only do the good guys win, not only is Top Gun one of the greatest movies ever, not only are they making a second one, but we happen to have an exclusive clip of footage from Top hey, Gun. Hey, can you get you guys before we take off? No, I think we're good. Just waiting for Captain Kazansky. Wait, not Tom Kazansky. Yeah, that's what it says. The ex-Navy fighter pilot who always brags about going to that Top Gun school like 15 years ago? <laughs> I guess. Is there a problem? Yeah. There's a problem. You. Because you're dangerous. <laughs> you're dangerous and foolish. And that makes you dangerous. Now let's cut the crap. Got a plane to fly. Just try to be on time, okay? Okay. Okay, so this isn't... Listen to me, you're out of line. Your ego's writing checks your body can't cash, and that makes you dangerous. So was that decaf or regular, Tom? Regular, and it's Iceman. Right, yeah. I, um, I can see you wrote that on your hat there, Tom. There. Hell of a bird. Got this baby up to Mach 3 yesterday. You weren't going Mach 3 in a 727. <laughs> I was shaving with a Mach 3. When you shave with a Mach 3, there's no time to think. You think you're dead. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you guys are dangerous. <laughs> bogey, repeat bogey, coming up on our six. He's got tone. That's the 935 out of six? Tampa. Taxi. He's looking at an 11. Good job. You guys are dangerous. <laughs> Tom, I'm going to ask you to stop saying that. <laughs> We're to 4G negative dive. We're too close for missiles. We're going to switch the guns. What Captain Kazansky means to say is that our in-flight movie today is Duet, starring Huey Lewis. <laughs> On behalf of Ava Airlines, welcome to Flagstaff, and have a pleasant day. Nice landing, Tom. See you guys tomorrow. Woo, yeah. What a rush. Hey, why don't we go over to the hotel room and uh, shower and... Uh, Dry off and play some volleyball. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen, Tom. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna grab some sleep. Uh, you do your thing. You can be my wingman anytime. Yeah, great. Whatever. Don't go. <laughs> These guys are dangerous. <laughs> so I remember talking to Rob a few years ago about the fact that I had not yet seen Top Gun. <gasps> <laughs> and I was like, I gotta go watch Top Gun. So I watched Top Gun a few years ago. And oh, it was a requirement, course, yeah, for your pre-solo. Yeah, I watched it a few years ago and watched it uh, earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> there were questions on your pre-solo quiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Top Gun, the, right now on IMDb, it says Top Gun 
Maverick is coming out in 2020. Uh, they don't have any plot details. They have a limited cast list. Apparently, Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer will be uh, reprising his role as Iceman. Uh, but it's got Jennifer Connelly, Glenn Powell, John Hamm. Miles Teller is going to be in it, which, I mean, he's a fantastic actor. Ed Harris loved him in Apollo 13 and a bunch of other stuff. There's there's already some names that are that are lined up for uh, for this movie. And it's it, it, it I'm going to go see it. I don't care if it's a good one or not. I'm going to go see it. Yeah, so Tom will be in his 50s, right? Yeah, pushing 60. So if he's in the movie, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they make him a pilot or perhaps an instructor. Because at the end of the original, he was saying he was becoming an instructor at Top Gun. Yeah, but the the typical tour of duty at Top Gun as an an instructor is only two and a half years. So that was, what, 1986? Mm -hmm. So that would have taken him to 89. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yep. Um, What do they do after they're an instructor? Then they would go back to the fleet and they would continue to educate educate and train, pass on uh, the skills. And some of them become uh, commanders of an air group or squadron leaders where you're, you're in a leadership position. You're not, just, uh, you're not just one of the pilots, but you're going to be in charge of all the other pilots and in charge of training and, and programs and things like that. All right, so we've got some time for some online questions. Uh, question number one for the day is, if I am flying in a larger plane, will I experience more turbulence? No, um, because airplanes have resistance to change. And the bigger you are, the more resistance to change you have. So you'll you'll cut through the turbulence. It won't have the opportunity to move you. The F-14... And all the, these fighters, they weigh less than 70,000 pounds, and an airliner is, is upwards of 150,000 pounds. In, in general, I'm thinking, like, a, like what, what's the 757 weighs? Uh, is it close to 200,000 pounds or something like that? Wait, so an F-14 weigh, only weighs half of an airliner? Yeah, I mean, it's oh, it's whole... It's a heavy aircraft. Oh, yeah, it is. The F-16 max gross is something like 40,000 pounds. Oh, the F-15 right. is is close to 60. And they're, they're, they have to be small... So they can be maneuverable. But when you are maneuverable, you are more susceptible to changes in the atmosphere. So when when you're in the heavier object, it takes more force to move you, and you cut through that stuff a whole lot better. If you look at some of the in-cockpit shots where everything looks like it's shaking, that's because at the speeds that they're traveling in the, in the areas of the atmosphere that they're traveling in, there's a ton of turbulence, and they're hitting all that all that different turbulence very very quickly because they're moving very fast and one of the comments from navy pilots about top gun as much as they hated how the movie depicted that experience or or the experience of the navy um one thing that they said they got right was a lot of the flying and that's because they filmed it in f-14s they filmed a lot of it in f-14s in areas that that uh, like the desert that had a lot of convective uh, activity or at least uh, thermal activity that would create turbulence they said yeah that's that's what it was like flying the airplane you were just constantly shaking you were constantly getting jostled around a heavier airplane that is going to be reduced and when we fly in strong crosswinds or strong turbulence we actually want to have full tanks rather than empty tanks to help the airplane be more resistant to that change all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Plane Talk podcast. This was our Top Gun movie review. If you like the episode, please uh, tell your friends. If you didn't like it, tell your enemies. We'll take their money, too, once we figure out how to do that. Give <laughs> right. us a like on YouTube, Instagram, Plane Talk PC, and uh, check out our website, 
plaintalkpodcast.com. If you have any feedback, send us an email, podcast at plaintalkpodcast.com. Matt? I think that's about it. All right. Take care, everybody. Fly safe. Bye-bye.